Welcome to this month's installment of Brass Chats, brought to you by Monster Oil. What is this? 21 year? Hey everybody, welcome to Brass Chats. Today we're sitting down with a gentleman who's played with the New York Metropolitan Opera Orchestra for 29 years and has taught at the Juilliard School since 1982. Mark Gould, thanks so much for being with us. Great pleasure. I'm glad to be with the Army. You're not in the Army. You're I'm not the, in the Army, no. You're in the Coast Guard. You're defending this country. Well, yeah. Thank God. That's what we do. I feel much safer. Excellent. Great. <laughs> what are you up to lately? What's, uh, what kind of projects are you working on nowadays? Um, I'm working. The last thing I was doing, I was out in Oregon, and I'm writing with my partner in Pink Baby Monster. Uh-huh. We're doing a piece. Brian McWhorter? Brian McWhorter. Yep. With Brian, and we're, uh, uh, Brian has written a piece called Genesis. Mm-hmm. And we're working on the text for that. We're going to do that at Banff in about a month. Oh, terrific. Yeah, it's about a 12, 13-minute piece. It's about the uh, genesis of music on Earth. It's a typical Pink Baby Monster uh, production. makes actually um, a great sense and no sense whatsoever. Let's back up for a second and yes, talk sir. about Pink Baby Monster. Yes. And like, what is it? For a lot of people out there don't know exactly what it is. I'm not sure I know what it is. And I've seen just about every video. Right. Well, uh, Pink Baby Monster sort of uh, dissolves and reforms about every six months. Okay. So uh, it, our band, or, or whatever we did, it started in 2001, right after 9-11. As a reaction to... Um, well, let's see, a, a, an angry reaction to what happened after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Meaning uh, the complete militarization of the United States, um, which we anticipated right after it happened. Mm-hmm. We wrote the theme song for, you know, the bombing, and, mm-hmm. and it was very prescient. So we made a record in 2002, which was like um, a very angry hip-hop record. Can you imagine that? Me doing a hip-hop record. So we did that, and then we said, well, that's really not the way to go. So we decided to become, to spread our our message in a much more humorous way. Uh Uh-huh. So we did uh, uh, full productions of uh, Desert Jews from Jesus to Oppenheimer. Mm Mm-hmm. And we did uh, something called Elixirs (laughs) about uh, creating the perfect drug for classical music for both performers and audience members alike. Uh Uh-huh. How does that, does that answer your question? Sure. <laughs> it leads me to several other questions. Yeah, but, certainly. Well, I mean, how does the social commentary, uh, you started off as a politically motivated thing. I mean, how is that playing through today? Is it, has it changed over the years? So it's not as political, do you feel? Or what is, Genesis doesn't sound political. Um, what, no, that's, that's, that's decidedly not political. That's just hopefully um, amusing. Funny. Okay. It's sort of like... Uh, Mr. Rogers meets um, Henry Kissinger, that kind of thing. Well, of course. Of course. It's clear, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and what are your future plans? Uh, do you have any plans beyond Genesis, or is that... Well, I mean, at this point, I really have no future plans, you know, further than tomorrow. Okay. Know, if I can get out of bed, that's actually <laughs> that's a good day. Future plans on the trumpet. Every so often, I, I think that I should really make another CD, but that's quickly dispense with when I start practicing which destroys my confidence when I don't practice I feel much better about my playing and your, your last album was 1930 Cafe 1930? 1930 yeah it was a solo record yeah I was I have like a lot of music to do a follow-up to that 
Oh, you do? And if I get angry enough about the shit that I hear that trumpet players are recording these days, then I decide, well, maybe I should do another one. What are you angry about? Um, the uh, abysmal lack of new repertoire, um, the sounds that trumpet players make, which are very good, but they sound like classical saxophone players to me. Everything has become more uniform. Oh and standardized mm -hmm. outside the jazz world. Jazz world's a little bit different. What are the challenges you see as an educator beyond, I mean, you just mentioned one of them, the uniformity in sound, and how, to one extent you have to be able to win an audition with a certain type of sound, otherwise you lose the audition. To the other extent, you want to be an individual like you said. How do you reconcile those differences with your students? Well, it depends. If you're taking an audition, you're not um, putting yourself out there as a soloist. Mm -hmm. Put yourself out there as a soloist, that's another category. And there are a few of those that, you know, I've had in my studio over the years. Um, Jens Lindemann. Jens Lindemann, uh, Chris Coletti, Caleb Hudson, who else? Brandon Ridenour. Mm -hmm. More soloists. And um, they probably sound a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, now the uh, standard of sound um, in an orchestra is... Um, I don't know how you feel about this. It's like very restrictive. Um, the only thing anyone could do is just try to sound the best they can, make their best sound. Mm -hmm. There's, I don't think there's any one particular sound, but the best sound that they can make. Uh, with talented players, I mean, you have your own gods. Like you hear someone who you want to emulate, then you do that. Mm -hmm. I want to sound just like Dave Bilger or Mike Sachs or Mark Inouye or Mark Hughes, any other many 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 great players chris martin on and on tom rolfs on and on and on and on mm -hmm. uh, the number of really gr great trumpet players of every kind i mean has grown exponentially mm -hmm. over the years so how would your career be different if you were growing up in today's music environment because it's obviously changed quite a bit like you mentioned right i probably wouldn't be alive today you know i'd be you know i would have been uh, on the road doing various this, various that. I mean, you know, when I got the job was in 1974. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I won an audition. Um, there was not the level of competition that there is now. now what was your audition like? Like it is now. It was behind the screen. Mm -hmm. I had to go three different days. Mm -hmm. It's a long story, but uh, there wasn't a level of competition. Now it's like uh, winning a job is like winning the U.S. Open Golf Tournament. Even to get into the Coast Guard band, I imagine, the level of players that you encounter must be well, these guys extraordinarily a, good. These guys had 110 people at their audition. There, there you go. One. And they, so uh, the players I hear in the service bands are phenomenal. I mean, I just can't believe it. What a fucking waste. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Here you are. You're like you're in this this army. I mean, you know, like you're way you're way overqualified to do what you're doing. We find, you know what I'm saying? We find little pockets of places where we can have our fun and make some music. Actually, they allow us to make music every now and then. It's not all bugle calls and, and funerals. Well, even so, you're still playing in a band. You know, you're playing in the, yeah. in the band, and I guess it depends who's up in front of you, how good or bad that could be. Oh, dramatically. Because yeah. you could see, you know, someone who has no idea what what they're doing, what they're hearing. They could sort of conduct through the music. Yeah. And and since you can't do drugs, I guess you just drink more heavily. We drink heavily. Week. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you growing up in today's environment, I mean, 
what seriously how do you see yourself do you not go into music if you're a kid today no i mean i was um no i, I would i would be doing something creative mm -hmm. and i would be doing something creative in music if i were um what would i do well, um, you mentioned about the different sounds and being a soloist. It's very hard to make a living as a trumpet no, it, soloist. It, well, it's impossible to make a living now in the music business, except for very, very few people. That's true. Yeah, that that sort of that ship has sailed. Mm -hmm. It's it's a completely different world. I mean, I don't mean to be so negative about it, but it's like very, very difficult. How do you counsel students as to that problem? Um, It's unusual that people still want to come play the trumpet and go to a conservatory. I mean, I find it mind-blowing every year. Mm -hmm. There are still those people. So if they're interested in the trumpet, okay, let's we work on the trumpet. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I've become a better teacher, you know, because I've had every problem in the world. So um, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy the one-on-one. -on -one. How would I counsel students? Are you upfront with them about this problem that it's oh, they very know, difficult? But everybody knows. It's like, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. um, I'm mentoring people, my students, now to be doing other creative projects just so they get a taste of what it feels like to be an artist and not just an artisan, mm -hmm. not just a trumpet player. You have to do more than that. So I was working this past year with a student on a hip-hop record, you know, listening to tracks. Mm -hmm. um, in the past, you know, producing records for people or you know d doing various creative music projects which in fact helps their trumpet playing mm -hmm. because they're not so obsessed about their trumpet playing uh, being obsessed about the trumpet is both good and bad it can be very good for certain people other people it just sends them right down a dark black hole mm -hmm. you know what it's like if you play the opening of pictures in an exhibition you know for the four thousandth time you must be getting worse. Mm -hmm. I mean, how could you possibly... We, what the fuck? You yeah. know what I mean? Absolutely. So we want to uh, try to steer him. I feel like we're at bit. one of the most contentious points in music history right now. Well, at least American recent music history in that there's such a transformation right now with the record companies and the way everybody's making money in music. Where do you see the whole thing shaking out? Where do you see it landing? I see it landing that um, all musicians would become amateurs. Really? Uh, yes. I was talking to Peter Evans. You know Peter Evans? I don't. Um, he uh, plays solo concerts on the piccolo trumpet for one hour with extended techniques. Mm -hmm. um, he's a, he, no one in the world does what he does. He's absolutely unbelievable. Genius level stuff. But he was working with, um, he told me, I can't remember who it was, it was a, a very famous singer in India. And this guy has a regular job. He said he's like an extraordinary musician. So most of the musicians in India are not professional musicians, they're amateurs. And they do, they play, and it's like that. There's, it has to be another way to make money. Yeah. So I try to, uh, with students and people, and my own children, uh, you need to find a way to make money, just yeah. to have enough. Yeah. Not to be rich, just to have enough. Now you think that's where it's going to land. How do you, is there a way out? What no. could happen no. to look, make Look it at so the music business. Um, you have a DJ, various DJs, you can come to Madison Square Garden, one person, and fill Madison Square Garden mm -hmm. for a week. Yeah. One person. Mm -hmm. 
not an orchestra, one person. So it becomes, you know, the D- the DJs, all the EDM players, the DJs, yeah. the, the DJs. Hmm. Um, that seems to be the future of music. I don't see where there's a, a possible revenue stream for recording. You used to be able to sell records or sell CDs. Uh, with the streaming, it's uh, the corporate interest of one. It seems like there's no money in that. Yeah. So I'm just trying to see where in music is there a revenue stream hmm. for any kind of music. I don't. It's not clear to me. I don't really see any any light at the end of that tunnel. Yeah. I don't mean to be so negative. I think music itself is very healthy. People are, do, people are doing more and more and more music. That's very interesting to me, but I don't really know if there's any money in it. I'm just trying to figure out how you reconcile teaching these students who come to you and say, I want to be a professional musician, right. and then you say there's no future in music, making money monetarily. Right. How do, I, I don't reconcile it. I, okay. They come right. to you and so say, in other words, you're, in other words, um, well, I don't want to say this because you, know, you might use it. <laughs> don't say anything. You don't, <laughs> we can cut it later if you don't we want. We can cut it later. Yeah, it's perpetuating a fraud in a way. Yeah. On one level, on, on the money-making re- level, but the other level, people love to play instruments. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like a there's a physical satisfaction in playing any instrument. Yeah. And people have not stopped playing instruments. I mean, you pick up pick up your trumpet. It feels good to make a sound coming out of the trumpet. So people love to do it as much as they ever did, maybe more. Well, looking past the monetary aspect of teaching these students, there's the idea that you're perpetuating art. Yeah. If, hopefully, they, my students get to that point. Yeah. Where they do something, interesting project. So, I mean, I, I try to lead them on to do um, interesting projects. At Banff, Brian McWhorter and I, um, last year we went to Banff and we said, okay, in three days we're going to put on a show at the club. You have to come in with a live performance a video or whatever that is, this is three days. They had mm-hmm. three days to do something, and they all did. Oh, nice. And it was, like, extraordinarily good and mm. successful. So you could do something. If you have to do something really fast, what would you do? Yeah. Make a video. Uh, what, what would it be? You could use open source video, make your own video, put music to it, do something. Mm-hmm. Do something creative. That sort of gets the juices going. Yeah. And then you start, start to... Um, be much more sympathetic to the creative process, much more open to the creative process, uh, much more open to what it means to compose or improvise, all the above. What it means to perform, Mm -hmm. how to be a performer, and not just a note processor. So it's, you know, it needs to move in that direction. And I think it is. Do you enjoy teaching? Yes. More now that I'm not working at the opera. Yeah. not, I'm not working, you know, like doing a full-time job there and then teaching. That was harder, mm-hmm. you know, because it takes a lot of concentration to really teach. Yeah. you got to be there and not just, you can't phone it in hmm. for both the student and the teacher. Um, okay, so some more about teaching. Uh, how do you describe your general teaching style versus how your students would describe your teaching style? I don't know how they would describe my teaching style. Um, I've heard stories about me as a teacher. People say stuff that I've said. I mean, I don't remember any of that. <laughs> um, each student is, is individual, so I teach each student okay. 
very, very differently. Mm -hmm. So eat whatever they come to me with, I start there. So I wouldn't say there's any particular style. Okay. I don't have like a set routine that yeah. everybody plays. I don't do that. What traits do you find in your best students? Um, they work very hard and they have a lot of questions. Okay, and you and they And they listen to a lot of music and they hang out with people who listen to a lot of music. Um, if you could start from scratch, who would be your trumpet teacher today? Who would you choose if you were young again? My trumpet teacher? Yeah. Wow, that's a great question. Thank I never, you. I never thought about that. Would be my trumpet teacher. Um, it's because I mean it's it's hard to say because I really didn't have a a trumpet teacher after I was sixteen. Excuse me. I didn't really have a trumpet teacher. I mean, I I took lessons with various people. Oh oh, but you didn't have a steady teacher. Okay. I didn't have a steady teacher. I studied with Robert Nagel as a kid. Yep. Um, that was good when he played in the lessons, but he didn't do that very much. Only when he was going on the road with the, uh, the what was it, the, the brass quintet? What was the one he had? New York, was it? New York brass quintet, yeah. yeah. Then, he, then I would hear him playing lessons, and that was good. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I was like, you know, rather indifferent student. I was not a particularly good student. So he didn't really... That's what he, I was going to He didn't kick next. me in the ass like I needed to be kicked in the ass then. That's what I was going to ask you next was about your education and... Uh, one question I have for you is, what's the the best lesson you ever had in your life? The best lesson? Mm -hmm. um, it's it's in There are two lessons, one with Vakiana, one with Jerry Schwartz. Mm -hmm. It's when they sang something that I was playing, and they sang it to me, how it went, and that then the light bulb went off and says, oh, I get this. Mm -hmm. So it, you have to have the idea in your head what you're trying to do. So you had two specific lessons you remember to this day. To this day. What, what, walk me through the lesson with Vacchiano, if you could. Well, he just sang something to me, something I was playing rhythmically, and he sang the rhythm. Mm -hmm. What was it? I can't even remember. Oh, okay. It was something maybe in a Brandt etude, and he sang the rhythm, how he heard the rhythm. Mm -hmm. And Jerry Schwartz did a similar thing in something. He sang it to me, and I went like, oh, I get this. Huh. So that lasted me for about a year. So I needed to that set me off. I said, now I know what I need to do. So the words didn't help you. You needed to, when you heard it, it was crystal clear for you. When you heard the singing, when you heard the... Well, they sang a rhythm that was precise. So, I mean, I could sing any phrase of music to you, and if you had good ears, you would get right. how I wanted it to go. I could sing anything that you asked me to and sing it to you, and you would have an idea how I heard it. Sure, sure. So anyway, I could sing it various ways. And that was like a huge jump for me. Mm -hmm. That made a big difference. So I find that that's the biggest lack in students is um, they don't play the trumpet, the trumpet plays them. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just hunting around for something that works to get them through a certain thing. Yeah. You said you were a poor student. Yes, I was not in, in high school, I was not particularly good, no. And in college, were you a poor student as well? I didn't take lessons in college. I played for, um, in the Boston University Orchestra for one semester, but it wasn't going fast enough for me, so I quit. Uh -huh. But I wasn't supposed to be in there anyway because I was in the uh, liberal arts school, so mm -hmm. I got in by mistake. Made all the other music majors very pissed off. <laughs> 
And I don't know how old you were when you won the audition for the Met. Was that shortly after college, or was that a while? I don't walk um, me through your early life here. I don't, I'm not really sure the sequence of events here. Um, well, I came to New York as more of a jazz player, mm -hmm. and then I realized I needed to um, do other stuff to make money. So then I, so then I started practicing again. You know, like trumpet like you guys play, you know, like ta, ta, to, to, tiki, tiki, you know, all the shit that you do in the, in the service bands, you know. Well, that's how we play, yeah. That one, you know. Okay, you know good music, all right. I know that stuff. I, I actually like marches. I mean, I have my students play marches. Greatest training in the world. To, really? To be able to play a march. Why is that? You have to swing. You have to play with good articulation mm -hmm. and good swing and rhythm. Mm-hmm. It has everything in there. That's what we do as trumpet players, play marches and bugle calls. Do you have any students working on marches now? Well, it's summer, um, but I mean... Um, yeah, at times if they have a service band audition, they have to play all those marches. <laughs> sure. But the best ones play the shit out of the marches. As yeah. you know, I mean, it's fun to play a march if the band is happening. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it kills, you know? Absolutely. What's your favorite march? Next. What's your second favorite march? There you go. <laughs> Um, any march in a minor key, I'm down with that. You know, oh, really? There aren't too many. Uh, Bravura? Bravura? Yeah, that's a good one, sure. Um, I want to get a handle on... Okay, there was a time in your life where you got really good at the trumpet, where you went from one level to a very high level. And I, I want to know, and I think a lot of people want to know, what you did to get to that level. What was your life like, and how did you do it? Well, I never thought I really got to a particularly high level playing the trumpet. I mean... This is not false humility, you know. I mean, there's always people that play better. What I could do is do the things I did well, very well. That's what I did. Now, how did I do that? Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, I used to practice every day for three hours a day. How did I do it? Practice slowly and carefully. Okay. Yeah, do that. And then... So you're a diligent practicer. You're three hours a day At a certain day. point, very, very diligent practicer. You yes. did three hours a day, every well, day for... Th that's to get like... Careful practice. And that was for how, how long did you do that for? How many years? Well, many, many years. <coughs> and, and all the time I worked in the opera as well. I mean, when I was practicing, I would practice. Practice a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I sounded pretty good then. I mean, when I was practicing a lot. Yeah, what kind of things did you work on when you were getting good exercises, etude books, did anything you, in particular? Same thing you practice. Okay. Uh, Stamp, Clark, Arben. Okay. Brandt. The classics. Right on. Okay. People don't play enough etudes now. They do all these fundamental drills. Um, that's good if you have a job like you guys. You know, you could do that because you're playing in a particular situation. Then you could right. do a, a lot more drills. If you're not, you need to play a lot of etudes and get them better and better. So performance level. Mm -hmm. And then you get a lot better. Okay. Um, struggles on the trumpet. What struggles? I've had every one. Oh, really? Every one. Uh, have you ever had any struggles where you considered quitting the trumpet? Um, no, not struggles like that. Pete Bond did. I just yeah, some people have that. Well, Pete Bond. I mean, he the way he plays the trumpet is like um, <laughs> if you gave a fucking gorilla a trumpet. And it would be the bet, the greatest gorilla trumpet player who ever lived. That's Pete Bond. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, you know, he could sort of play everything. And, you know, like this ADD gorilla, you know. 
Okay, great, great. <laughs> please, I, please, in all seriousness, I'd like to hear about some of your struggles, maybe the, the, some of the biggest struggles you had and how you overcame them. Well, some of them, I mean, for me, my articulation is good but very slow. So I have to practice to get my single tongue up to quarter note equals about 60, 60 tongue. That, 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 I mean, a little faster than that. Okay. So I had to, things that people single tongue, I had to learn to double tongue. So that's oh, okay. a tremendous struggle. Mm-hmm. I had trouble playing high notes, low notes, slur, name it. I've had every, every single problem. And you just overcame it with hard work, diligent practice on the classic books. I mean, I don't know if I overcame it. It got better, you know, it's yeah. serviceable. No secrets or anything. Just hitting the standard books over and over again with the metronome, tuner, and everything. Yeah, it takes uh, great diligence and practice to do that. Now that... You know, I mean, we're talking about Doc Severance, and he's 88. Gets up in the morning thinking about what he's going to practice that day. I mean, that's unbelievable. That's like an inspiration. Mm-hmm. I'm not there, but it's interesting. You know, as now that I'm I'm 67 years old and my playing declines, mm-hmm. it's interesting to observe the decline and what I need to practice to stem that decline until it you know goes right into the shitter. Mm-hmm. What and are you? That's interesting. What are you practicing nowadays? Um, same things. But I mean, I'll be, I'll, I'll play, I'll improvise more, you know, when I'm playing. Oh. I will play through tunes. Do you still play through the classics, the Clarks and the Arbins? And yes, I do. What's on your stand right now, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, Bach for the trumpet, Jasanda. You know that book? Uh, Bach for the trumpet. No. Very good. I'll I don't show think it I to do. you. Okay. I mean, if you're good, I mean, I'll sell you one. It's like, how much you guys make a week? Pull your twenty dollars, twenty-five dollars. <laughs> I'll show it to you. That's good. And I'm practicing, uh, what else do I have in the stand? Always Arbins. And then this this colon book called uh, Range Through Scales. I do that. Mm -hmm. I practice the beginning of the Top Tones book, all those scales. Yeah. Very good. I I find that that gets me going. Lipslers, very slowly. Just, I mean, just the same thing. So you get it so it works. Mm -hmm. I know we're getting really nerdy now. I apologize. But how do you practice the Arbin book? Uh, first 60 pages uh-huh. I'll pick apart like um, for example the scales mm-hmm. and I'll play those in every key uh, at various tempi mm-hmm. double tongue single tongue slurred but to get them so they're clean and in all registers hmm. now that my low registers sort of disappeared okay we just had, uh, had a uh, trumpet tip with Doc Severinsen and uh, it was on articulation. We asked him to talk about articulation. And he cited page 39, exercises three through six, I think it was. And it's just simple half note lip slurs, actually. It's all da, da. And that's what he said for articulation. We had a bunch of people write in on the forum saying, well, what are you talking about? That's not an articulation. And he said, if you can play that with control, artistry, musicianship, that's all you need to play, I think, is what he said or something. Well, I mean, that's interesting he says that because if you can make a very good lip slur, that means your tongue is very relaxed and functioning mm-hmm. very well. And that will help your articulation tremendously. So that kind of a thing, I mean, I understand that. Yeah. If you could make a, so you could practice something, you know, you could slur it and if you can be very smooth slurring it and then try tonguing and see if you can be as smooth at whatever tempo. Double um, tonguing. Let's talk about auditions for a second. Yeah goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning about making a living. You, right. need, you need to win the audition to make right. a steady living. Um, and you've coached many students over the years right. through several auditions. Uh, well, let's talk about you for a second. How many auditions have you taken? 
I took three. What were they? Springfield, Mass. Did you win? I won. Uh, I won because they needed someone to play the Brandenburg. Oh. So my audition was to play the Brandenburg. And that was it? That was it. The whole audition? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the season started in three weeks, so oh, I won. It's not like today, is it? No. You get all you fucking nerds, you know, <laughs> falling out of the ceiling. You know, <laughs> can't play a lick of music at oh, all. Oh, you know, God. You good. never even heard us play. You heard me play once. Uh-oh. You did. And it, it sounded about like you just described, yeah. <laughs> so what was that? The other two auditions were the Met and uh, what else? National Symphony. And how did that go? Not too good. But what I did was I snuck in the balcony of the hall and listened to the finals. Which, which job was this? This is when John DeWitt became, I think he was first trumpet. I think he was first, he was first trumpet there for many years. Okay. I think it was then, it's probably 1973, okay. 74. And then I heard people, all the people playing the finals, and I said, well, wait a second, you know, these guys are not really that much better than me, mm-hmm. so I have to stop being nervous about this and just go play. Yeah. That was good. If you get to listen to the finals, if you get to do that, you'd feel much better about yourself, because mm-hmm. people, they just psych themselves out, you know? Yeah. But then again, auditions now, now you have to send a tape. And I've heard uh, students send tapes in that I think are just fine, worthy of 20, you know, 10 minutes of your time, rejected. Thinking like, what the fuck? Yeah. Get off that. You should hear everybody live who wants to play. Yeah, I agree. No tapes, no nothing. Sit, really? You poor motherfuckers don't have 10 minutes, you know, have a few hours of your time? Yeah. You're too busy? My ass. You're working 20 hours a week, you fucking no talent, no music, (laughs) motherfucker. Walk Stiff us through ass, tight ass motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> now your audition. Please t- uh, walk me through the differences between your audition that you took and the last audition you listened to while a member of the Met. And how, how do those differ over the years? I would just sit there thinking, like, wow, I was glad I'm not auditioning today. You heard a lot of good players. Yes, always. Mm-hmm. Always, there's a lot of good ones, and then you hear players who are probably really, really good who play. You know, they just don't rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. They just don't play like they play. But the process was about the same between? About the same, sure. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, audition preparation. How do you coach your students to prepare for an audition? What's your process? Um, yeah, when I auditioned at the Met, I had the music 10 days ahead of time. So that's probably a, a good thing because it eliminated a lot of people, drones who practice the same thing over and over for six years. Yeah. So this was... Uh, you like find the, that counterproductive then, the overpriced? Well, I mean, it just... Then you can get, you know, some gorilla like Pink Pete Bond, you know, who could learn all this music. <laughs> you know, they could, they learn all these, these standard excerpts and they can play them. Uh-huh. And, um... But I had the music 10 days ahead of time. That was better. Mm-hmm. Because that eliminates people who can't read and people who have no ear. So then you encourage your students to practice varied music, not just a list. And yeah, they have to. You, you have to. You, if you're prepared, um, if you know the pieces, then you don't need to over-practice them. You need to think about them before you do it. Right. Some things you need to practice all the time so you don't lose them. Things that go fast. Okay. Technical things, Petrushka, Rebel Piano Concerto. We've heard you practice Petrushka. 
Yes. Well, I mean, that that was that that was made in reaction to uh, people playing Petrushka. I mean, there's like a lot of truth in that video. Sure, sure, yeah. So of course I get gaunch, and you know, uh, <laughs> you know, we were like totally fucking stoned, and we did that thing. <laughs> But it was good, and we played a lot. You know, we had a we had a good time doing that. that yeah, was, uh, that was fun. But yeah, it needs it. You know, Petrushka has to, you know, have a swing. You could go any speed you want. Sure. I mean, I played at every speed. Uh huh. You've had conductors do it slow, fast. What is what is this like with a drum bump? Da, 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 da. It's like a, it's a non-event. It's like eighteen seconds or twelve seconds. The yeah. end. People make it into a concerto, which it's not. Right. Just play the notes. Yeah. Play it nice. Let's talk about the Met for a second. Yes, sir. You played there for 29 years. I did. Um, you probably saw some highs and some lows. I want to hear about some of your highs with the Met. What were some of the absolute highlights of your time there? Oh, there's a, there are a lot of highlights. You, you know, it was like very fortunate to be there for various performances, opera performances that were on the very highest level. Mm -hmm. You know, what with, were some of those? Um, Otello with Levine. Uh, a lot of Mozart with Levine, you know, when he did Mozart was really great. Mm -hmm. Some of the Verdi was really great. He did a great Otello, Carlos Kleiber, Rosen Cavalier. That was like certainly a highlight. He conducted a few operas. You know Carlos Kleiber? Uh, of him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He makes all other conductors look foolish mm. in a way, you know, mm -hmm. sort of. Until he came, I didn't really. I didn't think that anyone could do what he did, mm -hmm. but he did. Wow. So that was interesting. What did you have to practice the most? Which opera? Practice the most. What was the hardest stuff that you played? What's the hardest stuff to play? Probably the hardest stuff to play. I mean, in a certain way, the Strauss operas. Mm -hmm. But in another way, uh, if you get it rolling, you know, you're okay. You can sort of slam through them. Um, I played all the Strauss operas, not as much because Mel Broyles was there when I was there. Yep. And they were written for Mel Broyles, Strauss mm -hmm. operas. When the Strauss operas were programmed and he played them, it was like he was in his own movie oh, wow. starring Mel Broyles. And it was quite something hmm. really extraordinarily great. So, What types of things did you learn from Mel Broyles? Um, I mean, if there could be two people on earth who were diametrically different it's me and Mel Broyles okay <laughs> Mel Broyles what did I learn from Mel Broyles did you guys get along okay um, he didn't speak to me for the first two years that okay. I was there <laughs> Take that not, not that he was he, not that he was you know he was like particularly um, hating he just like would not acknowledge that there was like another trumpet player in the world sort of uh huh you know, he didn't really acknowledge another first trumpet playing in the New York Philharmonic. He said that was William's job oh, to go back piano. So, how did he sound? Who Mel Brooks? Yeah. Oh, Mel Brooks is one of the great trumpet players ever. Mm -hmm. Great, great, great trumpet player. He was the he was the uh, he premiered the Jolivet Concertino in 1961 in the United States. I didn't know that. Yeah. Did you hear the performance? No. Oh, okay. But Mel was. Did you he, take anything from his playing? Or were you much um, more of an individual player? No, nah, I, I, I can't. We played so differently. Mm -hmm. So differently. Like a very different approach yeah. to the trumpet. 
How know, would you describe your approach as opposed I'm, to him? I'm much more like a jazz musician who was like by mistake put in the opera, that sort of thing. <laughs> okay. So it took a while to catch on to what I was supposed to do down there. But then after I after I did, I was I was good. I was good playing the operas. Did good you have time. any sort of? I had good time, good okay. rhythm, good rhythm, good time. That's really mostly what you have to do in the opera. Mm -hmm. Know when to play. Do you miss anything about the job? No. <laughs> I mean, playing the job, no. I don't miss anything at all. I mean, it, it's funny. Right after I, I left, uh, Levine got me tickets to their See the Ring. Mm -hmm. That's why I quit, because it was coming back. So I only did 29 <laughs> and not 30 years. So it was coming back. I said, fuck this. I don't want to do this shit again. So I, I left. I retired. So he got me a ticket. I didn't know how I would feel, you know, watching the ring. So um, I felt fine watching the ring. I was in no way did I really want to be there playing. Like, oh, wow, I wish I could be doing that. No. I was yeah. happy to sit there. What happened with you and Baroque ornaments with Kiri Takanawa? Kiri Takanawa. Well, it was the last performance of, of Handel's uh, Samson. And this Yari had bright server. Sure. You know the aria? Sure. Okay. So I was instructed not to put any ornaments. But it was the last performance I figured, what the fuck? How many performances? I don't know, there were seven or eight. And you played everyone with just straight? Straight ahead. And who told you not to do ornaments? The conductor. Okay. Julius Rudell, my friend. He's dead now. Okay. Bless this motherfucker. <laughs> this Viennese prick. He got nicer when he got to be 85. He was nice. Okay. No, he told me no ornaments. So I, I you know, and then there's a bum bum, and then trumpet answers. Bum bum, and I, I went bum bum, I went ba ba bum, something. I don't know. I played. Simple one. A simple ornament. Bum bum, simple. Nothing, you know, nothing yeah. too. And he stopped conducting, you know. He got so pissed off. I didn't realize it was his birthday that day. <laughs> it was happy birthday. So I get in trouble for that. Oh, okay. Um, Mahler 5. Right. I think it was Jerry Schwartz. Jerry Schwartz. Uh, there's a rumor going around that um, you started playing Mahler 5 while he was bowing to the audience and they were still clapping. No, he, they were. that's not exactly true. But they were adjusting the chairs on it. Was at an outdoor festival? Okay. You know, getting the violins. Which all. direction was he facing? I don't know. He was like fucking around with the chairs, you know. <laughs> I said, fuck this. I'm really nervous. I just started playing, you know. And then what did he do? Well, what are you supposed to do? I mean, everybody. He hopped up hopped on stage to, and started well, doing Well, he was on stage. He was on the, you know. Oh, okay. Was he, he pissed? He got on the podium. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you didn't he, talk to him about it afterwards? <laughs> no, I mean, he, he wasn't really that pissed. He, I didn't okay. talk to him, though. How did you play? I thought it was pretty good. You played it well? Yeah, I think it was good. Okay. You feel like you would have played it worse if you'd waited? Worse if you'd waited. I don't know. I mean, I'd play it worse if I had to play it now, you know. <laughs> if I had to play it now, then it would be a real adventure, you know. Miss the first, all I'd be thinking about is playing the first three notes, you know. Sure. I mean, then I, you know, I would fan, I'd be panicked. The whole thing would be a panic to me, you know. Well, I think we'll take a little cut and do the monster round. That's all right with you. The what? The monster round. The monster round. Yeah. That you're going to play? No. What's the monster round? It's the next part of the interview. All right, we're good. I don't need to cut the <clears throat> Okay. We good? 
Yeah. Do, do I? That you, you're going to edit out some stuff that I could go to jail for? Or yeah. No. We'll but you could keep all the Pete Bond shit in. I don't give a shit. That we'll fucking gorilla. <laughs> ADD gorilla. I like that. Pete's hysterical. ADD gorilla. I hope he changes his Facebook name to. ADD we had a lot of fun with Pete. He's a lot of fun. He's, He's a really great. cool guy. He's hilarious. <laughs> he used to come in every day with a new trumpet because he, he would be bored and put together a new trumpet. And sometimes they work, and sometimes it would be like, what the fuck is that? You know, it would be just like... He would put it together himself? Yeah, he would solder on a different bell with lead pipes. He'd get it, you know, he'd open up the, the you know, the bell. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Pibon. He'd he throw his trumpet up in the air, and he would never knew where we were. You know, he's supposed to be counting measures. Never <laughs> had the faintest fucking idea where we were. There was one time in Vutzek where the horn came in wrong. The horn came in wrong in Vutzek. There was like an interlude and we were playing There's a Rest. And I'm thinking, when I heard it, it's, I'm not sure that that's right. And Levine was at this time, you know, he was not well. He didn't react to it. I'm thinking like, oh boy, this is an adventure, you know. And then it's it's cascading catastrophe mm-hmm. that over two minutes this is it's wrong and then I turned to Pete I said Pete you know where we are he goes Whoop, I don't know I don't know and I said right I figured you know, what the fuck? so you didn't what know where a, you were either well no, no I, mean, I knew that was, something was not right and then, of course I have a big loud trumpet thing come in and everybody has my cue right oh. you know in the parts it's trumpet yeah. right so I said well what the fuck I'll come in now did you come in right I have no idea because half the band went with me half the band went Oh, this nice. way, the Red Sea part in it. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is, this is the monster round. This is where we ask you a series of rapid-fire questions. You answer what the first thing that comes to your mind. Oh, boy. You ready okay. for monster Go round? Ahead. If you could trade places with anybody on Earth, who would it be? LeBron James. What's your favorite pink baby monster video? The Natural Trumpet. What musician would you pay to be able to play with? Uh, Chris Thiele. Favorite opera? Don Giovanni. What's your best sport? Me playing it? Yes. Baseball. Oh, back to this one. Which trumpet player would you most likely which trumpet player would you be most likely to take a lesson from today? Winton. What music would you like to be played at your funeral? Um um, f- music at my funeral. Um, um, the Sesame Street theme. <laughs> <laughs> what would the recessional be? Same. <laughs> it would just be ongoing, droning ongoing. throughout the right through the whole service. <laughs> what non-politician would make the best president? Non-politician would make the best president. Me. What's the least understood aspect of trumpet playing? Balance. Who would you rather have dinner with, Genghis Khan or Darth Vader? Genghis Khan. What's the first album you ever bought? First album I ever bought was uh, Miles Davis... Um, working with the Miles Davis Quintet. Oh, okay. Who's the sexiest woman alive? My wife. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> sexiest woman alive. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> okay. Does she still have a dick? 
No. I don't know. I think they did cut it off. No dick. They cut the dick off? Where is the dick? Smithsonian. Right. What are you reading now? I'm reading this book called Nexus. I can't remember the, the author of this. It's a sci-fi taking place in 2040. Oh. About the coincision of computers and humans with various splices and DNA stuff put in the brain. Okay. You know, the coincision of computer in the brain. Which book, not about music, would you most like your trumpet students to read? That's, a, that's an interesting question. What one book? Impossible to answer. There's so many. If they read any book, it would be good. <laughs> I mean, if they read a book, it would be good. You know, a book, any book. No one reads any books anymore. Right. They don't read any books. What would they read? Uh, any Shakespeare would be good. Okay. Really read Shakespeare. Okay. What do you like better, rainbows or babies? Rainbows. What's wrong with babies? What's right with babies? <laughs> What's the most? That's <laughs> fair. What's the most inspiring musical event you've ever been a part of? Rosen Cavalier with Carlos Clymer. Mark Gould, thanks so much for joining us. It's it was a, a great pleasure talking with you. Great Thank pleasure. You.